Well, first I apologise that Jenny can't be here. She is leading a service at our home church, Warrandyte Community Church. She's, it's it's um, service Sunday at our church, which is um, where we uh, we focus on all of the service opportunities that, that are um, connected with our church community um, and encourage people to uh, get involved but also celebrate what's already going on through the engagement with the community um, of our church and in the wider community of our church. And we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning. So Jenny's leading that service and um, we seem to be a bit more separated than <laughs> what we have been, you know. Uh, uh, Jenny's now um, getting more and more engaged in our local church as well as uh, she's got a lot of responsibilities with chaplains and um, and uh, all the child safe stuff that's got to be done now. So she's often in other churches helping them to uh, to uh, be effective in their children's ministry and also um, does chaplaincy Sundays all over the place as well because we've got chaplains in schools and we try to engage the school, uh, the church community with schools. Hence her not being here. However, um, she does send her greetings and uh, and this is a, a church that we have a long history in and uh, when I first brought her here was when I was a teenager and the first thing she was asked is what assembly are you from? And she said, I don't come from an assembly. And then that was almost grounds for throwing me out of the church. <laughs> She's now been embraced by our church community. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, uh, it was back uh, in August last year, I think, um, July, August last year, when we were working through what do we do now as a church. Uh, and there was uh, some challenging times that the church had gone through and, um, and we put together a working group and people... Uh, nominated members of that working group to be considered for that working group and they were um, voted in basically by um, a vote of the church. And the working group has been working, I can tell you, since then. And uh, I know they've been reporting to you um, and sometimes it's hard for you to grasp what is actually going on because they're reporting bits and pieces and uh, giving context is always very difficult when you're doing a lot of work and there's a lot of um, detail it's really hard to communicate how you got to this point, but I know they've done a, they've made a valiant effort to communicate the process that we've been through and where we are. And so the working group has been working, and also the uh, the um, deacons have been working hard as well. And we've been working together, and I'll explain that um, a little bit in a minute. The working group was given um, a responsibility. And they were given a purpose, and that was to review current activities and develop a vision and strategy um, based on biblical principles and to guide the church in fulfilling its God-given purpose. Now, part of those responsibilities were to oversee the teaching, pastoral care and activities of the church, so the church kept functioning, although the working group wasn't uh, surrogate eldership or seen as uh, the leadership of the church, but there was a group that took on those responsibilities and RAF, as, as part of that working group, was put together a, a team of people to be available for pastoral care. And, um, and Graham organised a team of prayer intercessors and the prayer. And uh, we were given the opportunity to spend a lot of time listening to God and listening to the members of the church. And we tried to find out what the heart of the members of the church was and what people were concerned about and also what people hoped for the church. So there was a lot of consultancy, there was a lot of listening, there was a lot of pastoral care, um, there was a lot of prayer. And then we started working on taking all that, processing it and defining what the future could look like or should look like based on biblical principles and on understanding what this church's God-given purpose was. Now in all of that, deacons had a role as well. Uh, their role was the operations and statutory compliance of the church and there are more and more statutory compliance issues that you've got to deal with now when you are a community group such as a church and they have been dealing with those. But also there were some operational needs and, um, and responsibilities that needed to be carried on. However, um, as was explained last year, the other task that we put to the deacons was start investigating what it looks like to actually have the church incorporated because 
Um, when I came here and found that the church had no incorporation, that was one of the, my concerns because it leaves you very exposed to a lot of issues but also makes it very difficult for you to even operate. In fact, I was surprised how you could have operated um, because, you know, without any kind of corporate identity now, you can't open bank accounts. But you had bank accounts, so I guess they just sort of grandfathered those in and, um, and somehow it worked. So they were given the role of investigating that and coming up with what was the best model. We gave them a lot of help uh, with community churches, Christian community churches, uh, Victoria and Tasmania, CVAT. Um, we have some models. Uh, we talked to, uh, I talked to the deacons. They, they asked uh, some of our staff about um, the various op- op- options for uh, the church and we've uh, landed on being an, un- oh, sorry, an incorporated association. We're going to talk about that a little bit more but the, the deacons have been working really hard too. And then every now and then, uh, the deacons and the working group, we get together and we talk about our progress and what various people's responsibilities were and we try to make sure that everybody else had more responsibility than us, you know, and things got passed between the deacons. No, actually, that's not how it worked at all. Um, it was really surprising. Uh, I'm facilitating this process and I'm facilitating, facilitating the working group and we'd come up with all these tasks and these responsibilities and... A lot of work. There's been a lot of work. And you'll see that. This is just going to be like drinking from a pie hose this morning. I'm going to download an enormous amount of information. This has been months and months of work. But I can tell you now, this is, it's been a pleasure and a delight working with this group. Because we talk about what needs to be done. People would, would immediately volunteer to do it. Even though I knew they were very busy, as we all are, had other responsibilities. Some have young families, um, which adds pressure. And it was done within the time that we asked it to be done. And I know that people work really hard to get that done. So it's been it's been uh, it's been a real encouragement to me to be working with this group. And you have been served really well by all the members of the working group, and also the deacons. Now, when we start thinking about the constitution um, and incorporation, um, it's it's really just a, a a process that you've got to go through and, and a way in which you can um, formalise how you operate as, as a community of people who have a purpose and want to achieve something uh, in the world or in the context of community. And so um, that requires a constitution, requires a set of rules. This is how we will operate. This is how we recognise who are members. This is how we actually... Uh, select leadership. These are the things that are the priorities, priorities, sorry, priorities for us as a group of people who believe we've been given a mandate to do something. Now, it could be a sporting club. We've been given a mandate to play football and we need to do that in a certain way and we need to work out who are the members and we've got to have finances and we've got to run this well and we've got to actually be accountable for how we manage our finances, etc. But in same, same in the church context. You've got a community, you've got resources and you've got a purpose and we're going to talk about the purpose in a minute. But that requires a constitution. And there are models of, uh, of uh, constitutions that you can draw on and we put one together in CVAT to help churches and that was given to the deacons. But what needs to be rem- remembered in all of this is that the constitution serves the church. The church doesn't serve the constitution. And so we've worked really hard on that, that the church doesn't have to um, compromise anything that we believe God has asked uh, this church to be and to do because it's trying to fit into a constitution. That's taken a lot of work because we also, we also need to be legally compliant. Um, and so there's been a lot of toing and froing about that. Okay, well, listen, no, we don't want this constitutional mandate to be applied here because we believe this is who we're meant to be and what we've got to do. So somehow the, the constitution has to be amended to fit with who God has called us to be and what we believe we've called us to do. And so the working group responsibility was provide a framework for the deacons to take away and say, okay, get the constitution to fit this, rather than the deacons to come along, say, this is the constitution, you working group have to fit that. So that's the way it's worked. I just want you to understand that. The constitution exists to serve and to enable this church to do the things that God has called you to do. So with that in mind, um, the first thing we wanted to do was work out, well, well, who is it? What, Who is it that God has called us to be here? 
What's our identity? What's our purpose? Why do we exist? Why does Montmorency Community Church exist? So we worked on that. We listened to people. We talked to people. We prayed. We spent a lot of time in prayer. It took us a long while to come up with this, but this is what we've come up with. And this was our mandate. To give everyone in Montmorency Community Church and its wider community the opportunity to know and follow Jesus. That's the purpose of this church. And that's the purpose that we have, um, I guess, synthesised through prayer, through deep study of God's word and through listening to all of you. A purpose or a vision, is it, in the past this was often called a vision, that's what, what do you believe you exist for? This is really what it is. Um, this needs, it needs to be something that's simple. It's easy for everybody to remember. It needs to be something that's in people's face all the time. It's on the front of your website, what you see when you come in the door. Now, I, I, as you know, well, some of you know, most of you know, I headed up a global organisation called Youth for Christ. And we had 30, 7,000 staff, about 80,000 volunteers. Every year we connected with about 10 million young people. And I can tell you now, we, we had a very simple, very simple vision, purpose. And, uh, and I believe one of my tasks as the international leader of that movement was to make sure that everybody knew what that was. And I could go with confidence to a volunteer in Rwanda, which I did, out on the edge of the, on the border of Democratic Republic of the Congo and Rwanda, one of the most remotest parts in the world, and say to a young volunteer, do you know what YSC is about? you know what Youth for Christ is about? And he, he let me have it. Not only did he give me the vision, he said, we're also about empowering young people, we're also about this, and, and really what we exist for is to share Jesus with every young person in the world. And here's this person out in this remote place with no resource, nothing. And he says, we've got this prayer team together, we're going to keep growing that, and that's going to impact the world. So he had, a, he had this vision, and he saw the big picture. And he knew what his little part was in that, but he believed it was absolutely essential. And that's what we want for this church. We want everybody to take this purpose on and say, this is why we exist. I'm part of this. I want to be engaged in this. And so to give every... Everyone in Montmorency Community Church and its wider community the opportunity to know and follow Jesus is grounded in really the, the primary mandates that Jesus gave to us as his, as his followers. When people came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, how do we be involved in your kingdom? He constantly talked about his kingdom. If you read the gospel, he's talking about his kingdom. He, he, he talks about people getting engaged. He invites people to be involved and other people come along and they, they are astounded by his teaching and his identity and they start to get it and they go, how can we be part of this? And he regularly answered that question. And he answered it with three things. I think if you do an analysis of all the responses Jesus gave, the three things he said to people was, first of all, give up everything. Give up everything. Those of you, those of you who do not give up everything, you you have cannot be my disciples, he said in Luke 14. Give up everything. Follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me and introduce others to me. Go and make disciples of all nations. Matthew 19. So, when Jesus was asked, what's this all about? How do we get involved? He said, well, give up everything. Give up everything. Everything is less important than me. Follow me and introduce me to others. Introduce others to me. And so we, we believe that that's, that is the purpose of this church and the way we captured that into the purpose statement is that uh, to give everyone in Montmorency Community Church and the wider community the opportunity to know and follow Jesus. That applies to everybody. So it doesn't matter how old you are, it doesn't matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus. We used to go to this church in, in Denver and the pastor used to get up and regularly say, you know what, I, my purpose, our church's purpose, and my purpose this morning in this service is to get you one step closer to Jesus. It doesn't matter where you are, and it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, it doesn't matter whether you're not a Christian. My job today, I believe, as a follower of Jesus, is to help you to get one step closer to Jesus. And, and what we long for 
for this church as everybody's engaged in that. Getting one step closer to Jesus and helping others to get one step closer to Jesus. And that, that, this then, this vision does not apply to those outside the church only or to those inside this church or to those halfway between or those who you're engaging in. It's actually everybody in what we would call the circle of influence of this church in the wider community but also people who have been engaged in this church for many, many years. We want them to have the opportunity to know Jesus and to follow Jesus. Now, there have been people who have been believers for a long, long time and sometimes they don't follow Jesus very well and they need to follow Jesus just as much as the new believer needs to follow Jesus. We want to help everybody to do that and to do it well. But when we're thinking about the broader community, when we're thinking about those in which we engage on a daily basis or a weekly basis, the ones we go to work with, the ones we live next door to, the ones we see in the shops, um, the ones we, who cut our hair, the, the people who we're connecting with in our daily walk and life, well, we would long for them as a church to have an opportunity to not know, only know about Jesus, but actually to know Jesus. And that's the difference. That's why it's worded this way. We thought long and hard about these words we could say, know about Jesus, hear the gospel, you know. And, but we wanted more than that. We wanted them to meet Jesus and we believe that Jesus asked us to introduce people to him. Now, people meet him when they meet us, or they should. But when we talk about Jesus, uh, we hope that people will know who we're talking about because they've seen how we live and they've experienced that person. I talked to a doctor who was in um, India, I think it was India, and uh, he was caring for lepers and um, and he was, didn't ever push the gospel on these people, he just <clears throat> shared Jesus and he lived Jesus and one day one of these people said to him, I don't know who this Jesus is you're talking about but if he's anything like you I want to know him. And that's what we want for everybody in this church. We want that for everybody in this church. So this is this is who we believe, who we believe God has called the church to be. What we believe this church exists for is this. We want everybody to know this purpose. So that had to be the starting point. We had to come up with what is the purpose of this church, and this is what we think it is. So then that goes back to the deacons and say, well, don't you do anything in that constitution that contravenes this? And how do we get this as the thing that actually defines us? A football club is play Aussie rules football, you know. A cricket club is play cricket, the heavenly game. Or, you know, there's, there's others, there are other um, purposes for different groups and clubs, but we want people when they look at our, even our constitution in this church to know that this is what our purpose is that the wider community and Montmorency Church people will have an opportunity to know and follow Jesus. So that's our starting point. Well then, um, and by the way, let me just mention these little packets. You're allowed to open them now. <laughs> and uh, if you pull it out, you can sort them out. <clears throat> then it, you know when you pull them out. This has been technically designed so that the little one stays in there um, because we don't need to go to that just yet. But you'll see now we've got a strategic model. That's, that's what I'm going to be referring to now um, because one of our mandates was to do that, to develop a vision and strategy based on biblical principles to guide the church in fulfilling its God-given purpose. So now we've got a God-given purpose, which is what we believe, and, and this is now the framework, the strategic model uh, for this church. So once we've uh, worked out why we exist, then we need to work out who we are. Who does God want us to be? What, is, what describes us? What are the, what I often call non-negotiables? <clears throat> I do a lot of consultancy with global organisations and um, some of them have phone books of stuff to describe how they're meant to do things and what they're meant to do and, and who's meant to do them and everything else. But um, when I get these big phone books and 
and other churches that I'm talking to as well, um, I say, well, okay, what are your non-negotiables? What are the things that you, that you say, these are the fundamentals of who you are? Often they don't know how to pull those out, and I think we've got to start at that point. What are the fundamentals? What are the non-negotiables? What are the things that people say are absolutely essential in this church that, that, we, don't, um, that we don't have as fluid ideas? So, first of all, your purpose is why you exist, what's your passion, what drives you, and then second is your values. They define who you are. So, here we go. We're going to quickly skip through these. And um, one of the things I'm not going to do today, I've already given you a couple of verses, and I'm not going to go to all these verses. You all have Bibles. And uh, some of you probably have 30 or 40 Bibles on you. I have about 50 in my pocket. Um, And I think it's fantastic. Technology allows us to carry a lot of Bibles with us uh, and refer to those. If you want to look at these verses while I'm talking and presenting this, that's great. Um, That'll give you some biblical context. But everything's going to have biblical context. And why is that? Because the first value... The first value is the Bible. It's our starting point. This is the authority by which we're, we're giving you all this from the, from the working group perspective. This is the authority by which we do life. And there's some verses there for you to consider, which most of you would know without even locking them up, about God's word being inspired. But Montparnasse Community Church is committed to the Bible as the foundation as the foundation and final authority for life and service to God. We encourage all in our church community to study it diligently, apply it daily and teach its truth to others. It's the first value. It's a foundational value. It took us a while to describe this. and We, we looked at, uh, I'd, I'd done a lot of work with CVAT, just coming up with the values for CVAT. You've signed up, you've actually agreed to be part of a bigger movement than just this local church and these values are largely taken from that framework but these had to be processed in the context of this local setting and the working group had to agree that this definitely represented the values of the church so the Bible is the first one the first value second worship Montmorency Community Church is committed to individual and corporate worship Through worship we believe that we will be drawn into a deeper relationship with God, have a greater awareness of his love and grace, a heightened sensitivity of his presence and a greater capacity to bring glory to God. Prayer. Operative Community Church is committed to prayer as a means by which we communicate with God and he communicates with us. This is a very important part of prayer and I talked about this I think last year. But prayer is essential. We view prayer as the powerhouse of the church and essential to effective ministry and mission. We are dedicated to pray for the salvation of the lost, the advancement of God's kingdom in the world and the empowerment of God's Holy Spirit in all our church community. People, community. What Rensie Community Church believes our faith is authenticated and expressed in our relationship with each other. You know what? You can't be an isolated Christian. The way in which we assess the fruit of the Spirit is how we relate to each other. So you can't do following Jesus in isolation. So what Rensicute believes our faith is authenticated, authenticated and expressed in our relationship with each other in the church and how we relate to those outside of the church. We're committed to loving and serving others unconditionally and sacrificially and sacrificially and to meeting together regularly for mutual encouragement, accountability, worship, teaching and prayer. There's a big one in today's society, marriage and family. Montmorency Community Church believes that marriage and family is the foundation of human society and an expression of the relationship between Jesus and his people. We are committed to supporting marriage so that marriages so they last for a lifetime. We're committed to nurturing and protecting children, teaching the gospel and giving them the opportunity to know Jesus as Saviour and Lord. Evangelism. We're committed by we are commanded by Jesus to share his gospel and kingdom with all people in the world. Montmorency Community Church is committed to introduce introducing all in our wider community. This is where it relates back to the purpose. 
all, all in our wider community, that's everyone, to Jesus and helping those who choose to follow him to grow in their relationship with him. And so if we were to achieve our purpose, if this church was to achieve its purpose and everybody in our circle of influence, everybody in the wider community would have a legitimate opportunity to know and follow Jesus, wouldn't that be absolutely fantastic? If everybody who you had a meaningful relationship with had a clear opportunity to know and follow Jesus. And that opportunity might not be, well, let me tell you about the gospel and let me explain my testimony, give me my testimony, even though you don't want to hear it, I'm going to tell you anyway. That's, that, that's maybe not it. But if you've got a relationship enough to say, you know what, I think the Bible says something about that because of your relationship, because you care, because you're in a conversation, because you're engaging with people, because you're blessing them, which we've talked about before, because you're serving people, you can do that. Our daughter and son-in-law are planning a church in Bacchus Marsh. They have a um, really interesting uh, community that they're reaching. Nearly every one of them is from a totally unchurched background and, and Belinda's running a mainly music group and there's about 30 people, uh, I don't know, there's 30 people there the other day. Um, and, and, and she got up and she said, you know what, um, you know, this year we're going to be uh, trying to find, you know that, that we're, we're a church and that we follow Jesus and this is to the group. And so this year we're going to sort of try and meet together and uh, look at the Bible and see what it has to say about life and see find out a little bit more about Jesus. Who'd like to do that? She thought maybe one or two, but she, I think she had six families that wanted to do it. Just giving them opportunity in the context of relationship. But so often we do a lot of stuff but we don't have any intentionality. We're not driven by a purpose. We're not driven by values. And if we've got these values and they apply, then everything we do will be predicated on these values. And we won't be able to do things that don't actually provide opportunity because we're thinking about intentionality. All right. Priesthood of all believers. Did that go? No, I didn't aim it in the right place. See, I was told to aim up there. Do what you're told, David. Montbrenton Community Church celebrates and practices the priesthood of all believers. We believe that through Christ we have been given direct access to God. God is equally accessible to all the believers and every follower of Christ has a responsibility to be used by God and the church according to the gifts God has given them. This is a foundational truth of our movement, priesthood of all believers. It's not just that a few who have special access to God or actually have a special understanding of the Bible. We can go directly to the Bible, we can go directly to God and we can serve God equally. In fact, if we don't, we're not operating as God has told us in his word to do. Church. We've all been given gifts. We've all been placed in this world as unique people who are specially designed by God. And one of the beginnings of actually serving him is actually is to accept that and say, well, you know what, I really am quite queer and quirky, you know, and odd and um, and I've got a strange mix of gifts, but I believe that God has made me this way and I'm happy I'm this way because I know he's happy I'm this way. That's a really important starting point. And then say, well, what does that mean for my involvement in this church? And as a church leadership, as a church community, we need to provide opportunity for everybody. There should be no exclusion to anybody participating. And you don't need to be an expert to participate. As soon as you become a follower of Jesus, you are fully equipped to actually do everything that Jesus asked you to do, which was those three things. Give up everything, follow me, introduce me to others. Everybody who follows Jesus is equipped to do that. But if we have this view that you can't do anything until you're well trained, until you know the Bible thoroughly backwards and forwards, if you don't have all these other qualifiers, then we're going to be limiting people all the time. We're going to say, you don't make the mark and therefore you have to sit there and do nothing until you're actually qualified to do something. And I tell you what, there's a lot of churches like that. But we believe in the priest of all believers. Believers. All believers. That's a high value in our church movement and I believe it's a high value here. 
So they're the values. These are not negotiable. We have come up with those after a thorough investigation of our church movement, I can tell you, but also in this church there's great agreement on these. Well, from then, then you work out, okay, if these, this is our purpose and then if this is our, these are our values, then we have to have some kind of strategic priorities. We've got to have things that we do in response to this. And what are our strategic priorities? Well, I've already shared these with you in a book and in some messages and we talked about this and we worked it through and, and the working group felt that this pretty well described what our strategic priorities should be here at this church. And first of all, is to bless people. It's to bless each other. It's to bless, to intentionally serve and practically bless all in Montmorency Community Church and its wider community. This is the starting point. This is the touch point. <clears throat> this is the thing that God's asked us to do. When Jesus was said, <clears throat> when Jesus was asked, sum it all up, tell us, after people <clears throat> were um, challenged to give up everything and then follow him and introduce him to others, what was the next question? Okay, well, what does that mean? How do we follow you? And Jesus, on a number of occasions, says, this sums it all up. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul and mind. Love your neighbour as yourself. Do for others as you would have them do for you. In Galatians, we're told, do for others as you had them do for you is sums up all the law and prophets. Again, we're told that. So if you want to sum it all up, it's actually blessing and serving others. And the way you do that is you find out what their needs are. How do you find out what their needs are? You ask them. You have a relationship with them. You ask them about their life. You find out about opportunities to serve others and then you go and do it. And so the first strategic priority is to help and encourage and challenge everybody in this church community to do that, to be aware of others and to meet them at their point of need. And, of course, this is essential, an essential element now of engaging people in a world that no longer accepts ideology and propositional truth. You go out there and you say, I need to tell you about what I believe. And they go, well, actually, I don't care. All right, I need to tell you why your life doesn't work and mine does. <clears throat> and let me look at you. No, I don't want to be like you. It's the old propositional, <clears throat> your life's worse than mine, mine's better, I'm going to tell you why, doesn't really work. But when you go and you say, tell me about yourself. Oh, really? Oh. Is there any way I can help you move on the weekend? Or anyway, you know, I just heard that you were struggling with that task that you've got to do. I've got a bit of time, can I help? You know, just blessing people. That's a strategic priority. And so when you're developing process, a strategic process and activities, because activities come after these, what you're thinking about is how can we equip our people to bless others? How can we equip our church members to be more effective at blessing each other and blessing others? Well, one of the things is you've got to be more aware of each other and what the needs are. And so often we do so many activities, it doesn't bless anybody because all it does is drains people. And we motivate people by guilt. We say, you know what, if this, if this activity that we're planned to do, if nobody steps up and does it, we're not going to be able to do it. How do you feel about that? Do you feel real lousy about that? I know there's some of you that have got a spare minute somewhere in your life. You need to do this. Why haven't you volunteered? God's going to be judging you for not volunteering. Now, you might not say it that way, but often churches, are motiv- uh, the motivation force in the church is guilt. Rather than, how can we free people from all these activities so they can be free to serve each other and be available to each other and actually be available to their families? Now, remember one of the values was family, marriage and family. But if we say it's a value and then we take everybody out of their marriage and their family all the time, we put all these pressures on them, is it really a value? <clears throat> or is the activities of the church and looking like we've got a lot of programs the actual value? How do you assess a church's effectiveness? by how many people go, how much money they give and how many programs they've got. Is that right? Well, not according to this new value set. And that's going to, you have to be pretty rigorous when you're actually doing an analysis of how this all works. All right. The next strategic priority is belongingness or belong to maintain a culture and environment that provides a sense of belonging in God's kingdom and in the church community for all who 
connect with Montmorency Community Church and we want people to feel they belong. First of all, in God's kingdom, there's a space for them, there's a place for them that Jesus has actually died for their sins and there is a place for them in his kingdom, that they belong in his kingdom, but also that they belong in this community and they're welcome. And if there's anything that this community is doing that gets in the way of that, you shouldn't do it. Now, the most effective church I've ever been to was one just out of Denver in a place called Lafayette, between Denver and Boulder, Colorado. We used to go along there because we fed some people into that church who who were totally unchurched and we needed somewhere they could go. And and, and uh, that church, when we last went, last went there, it had about, I think, 15,000 people going there. Um, and <clears throat> they had four services and uh, every one of those services there would have been probably 50% of the people in the room that were not Christians. Pastor could get up constantly, the two pastors who were the teaching pastors would get up and it was a very simple service, very different. And they'd say, you know what, we as a church, as a community, don't don't want to ever get in the way of you having a relationship with Jesus. If there's anything that we're doing that's, that, that you find hard, that difficult, that you don't get, that you don't, we can change that. We can change that. Because we want people to be unhindered in meeting Jesus. But if you have a problem with Jesus, we can't do anything about that because he's not going to change. <laughs> and, and they just change things all the time. They tried a whole lot of new stuff all the time. They did different things all the time because the most important thing for them was that people felt they belonged. It wasn't their comfort. You know what? Jesus doesn't talk a lot about, I'm going to make you comfortable. I care about your comfort. He doesn't often say that. In fact, I don't think he says it at all, does he? He wants you to be uncomfortable. He wants you to be uncomfortable that there are people in this world who belong in his kingdom and aren't there. That's what he wants you to be uncomfortable about. All right. Believe that all people in the wider community of Montmorency Community Church will have an opportunity to believe in Jesus as Saviour and Lord. So we we don't want people to believe in an ideology, in Christianity, in the way we do things. What we want them to do is believe in Jesus. We want to introduce them to Jesus, a person. We want them to have a relationship with Jesus. We want everybody in the church community to do that. Become... So what we talked about a little bit already. That everyone in Montmorency Community Church will become more Christ-like, exercising their God-given gifts to bless and serve others and to grow the kingdom of God. These are the strategic priorities that we've put into this framework. Now, we also talked a lot about measures because there's no point in having strategic priorities if you can't measure what you are trying to achieve. But we haven't put these in here because we think the new leadership council, which I'll talk about what that is in a minute, should be the ones who wrestle with that. Measures are, churches are very resistant to measures, I've worked that out. Mission organisations aren't, but churches, we start to say measure and they go, well no, we're going to do that. No, we don't want to sort of measure what we do. Um, so we've got, we've got to wrestle with that and, and I think the new leadership, we've got some suggestions but I'm not going to present those today because I think they need to be worked out by the group that's going to hold everybody accountable to those measures and hold themselves accountable to those measures. But you need to measure what you do. When Jesus said, go and make disciples of everyone, how can you know how well you're doing unless you actually measure how many people still don't know Jesus or don't have an opportunity to know him? Jesus often said, people don't, you don't go out and build a tower without first assessing whether, what it takes to do that. You don't do this without me. You know, and by the way, how do you measure whether somebody's truly a follower of me? By their fruit. What is the fruitfulness of the church? How do you measure that? They're the questions that need to be asked here. Jesus gave us some mandates and some measures. We're going to apply them. But how we do that is another matter. So I'm not going to talk about measures. And then also out of that comes your activities because you say we're going to do these activities because these is our purpose, these are our values that will determine how we do these activities and we've got to measure our activities as well. How effective are these activities in actually achieving our purpose? And if we look at that and it's not achieving our purpose then either we change it or we don't do it. 
All right. How are we going? We are finished this one. Now on purpose and statement of faith. So you've already got the purpose. But we had to settle on a statement of faith. Now remember, there are no official documents. There's no official anything for this church in, in a corp, in an incorporated sense. There's nothing to say you have to ascribe to this. But one of the things we wanted to do was make sure that we had a solid theological foundation for this church and so we do have a statement of faith and you obviously can all read that on the screen and that's why you've got a pack this one, no it's not is that it? yes it is statement of faith on this side um, so we have a statement of faith this is basically the statement of faith or it is now, it's directly in line with the statement of faith that we put together for Christian Community Churches, Victoria, Tasmania, CBAP, and you have already signed up to that even though that you're not an official group and nobody can really sign anyway because you have no official roles or leaders, but you have signed up and said, yes, we as a church agree to this and we have now got this statement of faith. We've worked it through. We actually talked about some alternatives and this is the one we've arrived at. This is the statement of faith. This is the theological foundation for this church. Now... Should you have a doctrinal statement? Yes, we do have a doctrinal statement um, in CVAT, but we wanted the leadership, the new leadership, to actually work on that. Say this is doctrinally, it actually does sometimes need to be interpreted in the context of your church culture. So sometimes there's some doctrinal differences. However, we do have some common doctrinal. Um, we do have a common doctrinal statement that you've already signed up to um, and agreed to as a church be part of CVAT. Okay, now I want to go on to the leadership model. This one, which is... I'm going to do this. Leadership model. All right. So, one of the challenges um, in any church is how do you lead the church and who takes responsibility for what and how does all this work and... And then um, how do we make sure that uh, we're keeping, keeping true to what our purpose is and what's the leadership model now that we've got a constitution that has to be incorporated? What does that mean? What are the leadership structures we have to have in place to be compliant with the law and compliant with the uh, incorporated structure we decided that we're going to be? Well, again, <coughs> the constitution serves the church. The constitution needs to be grounded in biblical truths and biblical perspective. So we've done that. We've worked very hard on this and we've come up with a uh, model that we believe is going to serve this church well. And it's what we call leadership council. <clears throat> and there are a number of leadership roles. Before, before you <clears throat> can form the leadership council, you need to work out what the roles are, who are the leaders in this church or in the church. And, of course, we've got um, the ones that everybody knows and uh, are well described in these verses in Titus 1, 6 and 9 and in 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 16, which is the whole chapter of it. It's 1 to 12, really, that has all of the descriptions <coughs> of qualifications for elders and then Acts 6, 1 to 6. And the role of an elder is to oversee the spiritual health, growth and integrity of the members of the church, the teaching and preaching of the word and the pastoral care of all and to develop, sorry, and be devoted to prayer and encourage others to pray. That's a description, a brief description of the role. Now you will find in your pack there is these role profiles which expands a little bit what the actual role is, has has the character set the profile regarding character that's, ba- that's grounded in God's word. And also on the back has the way in which these people are to be selected, chosen, identified. It spans a bit outside of this document, which is very much a summary. So first of all, there's the elders. I don't think I need to convince you of that. You've had elders here. This church has operated as an elder-led church for, for many, many years. Then, of course, there are the deacons. Deacons is another uh, office um, that's described in the Bible 
and we find the profile for a deacon in 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 12, sort of right smack bang in the middle of the description of what the oldest should be. And the role is to take care of the physical, administrative and logistical needs of the church so that the elders can concentrate on their primary calling. And if you read Acts, you get a practical expression of the role of deacon when first deacons were identified, when the first deacons were identified and they took on those logistical responsibilities. The the role is pretty well described in an ecclesiology, whatever ecclesiology you can pull out of Acts, but also in uh, in a very specific way um, in Timothy. And so the deacons have that responsibility. They're meant to actually do that and free up the elders so they can do their role of uh, spiritual leadership, pastoral care, teaching, making sure that teaching the word, the integrity, the biblical integrity of the church is taken care of in the pastoral care and then be devoted to prayer and to encouraging others to pray. So the elders can be totally free to do that. Deacons take on all that administrative operational stuff. Now here's been the problem in the church, particularly churches like our movement, which are elder-led. The elders, which um, I guess many years ago operated pretty much to the according to God's word and were free to do that, um, are no longer able to do that often in the church. And the reason is that there are now a lot more complexities to churches. Actually, churches have got a lot bigger as well. And there are statutory compliance and there are operational stuff. And then what happens is that the elders, I'm finding in many cases where I'm consulting with churches, the elders become an administrative management board of the church. And I've been to those meetings where elders only talk about, they only talk about how we're complying how we're dealing with all these practical issues, what's happening in this ministry, what's happening in that ministry, how we're going to get enough resources to make all that work, um, what about these people who are problems uh, in, in their leadership role because they're not being put into the right leadership role, how do we go and find a new leader to go into this area, what are we going to do about this and what are we going to do about that, how we manage all these resources that we've got and then by the way we need new carpet. I went to an elders meeting last year, they spent Three quarters of the elders meeting talk about carpet, whether they have carpet tiles or whether they have real carpet and in the end they didn't come up with a decision. Now you might think that's ludicrous but I can tell you that happens all the time. So the elders have been taken away from what their primary job description here and put in this role. Now the deacons are meant to pick up a lot of that responsibility but the elders have been pushed into this space and now that you're going to be an incorporated group we do not want the elders to be doing that. So we have to come up with a leadership model that actually frees the elders to be elders, allows them to be elders and also allows the deacons to be deacons and then there's another group of people which need to be considered in this. And often we don't identify these in churches and these are the ministry leaders. In Ephesians 4, we, uh, we read about how there are these offices that are that uh, these people are assigned to leadership responsibilities in the church, uh, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. And why are they given these responsibilities, these, these leadership responsibilities? So to, that they can equip people for works of service so the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure and fullness of Christ. So there are these other people that are out there that are the ministry leaders and we do see this in the church and certainly in bigger sophisticated churches there's people who take responsibility for children and family ministry, for this, for that, for the youth, for young adults, for generations or whatever they're called. They're the ministry leaders and they are part of the leadership community of the church. Now often I've been to elders meetings as well or leadership meetings where they're talking about the details of a particular ministry and they've got no idea what they're talking about. Because they're not... And it's okay. It's not their area of expertise, children and family. Nobody in the eldership might be familiar with what's necessary to reach a young person or run a good program for a young person. Yet they're making decisions about this and they're deciding who's going to do it often when they've got no idea what's needed to do it. So we need a 
be able to accommodate that as well when you do things well. So there's these three leadership roles that are described in God's word. And there are people gifted to do these roles and selected spiritually to do these roles. So what we are proposing in our constitution is that we have a leadership council. And the leadership council is made up of nine members, four elders, four ministry leaders, and one deacon. And that deacon will be next officio, chair of the deacons. Whoever's the chair of the deacons will be part of the leadership council. And then a senior pastor, if you have a senior pastor, will also attend leadership council meetings, but they will not be a member of the leadership council and they will not have a vote, but they will have voice because the leadership council will actually employ the pastor. They will engage the pastor and the pastor will be engaged and held accountable to the leadership council to actually deliver on the ministry of the church and achieve the objectives of the church and make sure the strategic priorities are Realised, pastor will have teaching, often have teaching responsibilities. Might not have pastoral care responsibilities, a senior pastor, it doesn't matter. Whatever you, as a leadership council, your leadership council and you as a church decide is the sort of person you need, that's the person. But they need to be accountable to the leadership council and they need to be given the freedom to do what they're being gifted to do and to report back to the church by the leadership council. So this is the leadership council that we're proposing in the Constitution. Uh, the Constitution backs this up. It's actually structured around this. But it requires that these people are appointed and so the candidates um, are nominated and then they require a 75% in the way that we've structured the Constitution. 75% of the church needs to say yes to these people been members of this leadership council so yes we do trust these people to lead our church and to hold us accountable as a church community to everything that God has called us to do the tenure of these leaders will be a maximum of two terms three years three years terms then they get a chance to get re-elected so if you don't like them you think they're doing a lousy job and they put themselves up, actually they've got to go through the whole nomination process again or they can actually be re-elected, sorry, you know, they can once they are a member, but you can say, no, actually, we don't think you're right. And then after that two terms, they can have a one-year break and if they're really somebody who's contributing a lot, you don't want them out of the leadership for too long and they have an opportunity to come back in and go through the process again. Meeting schedule... So the way this would work would be the leadership council bi-monthly. They, work, they meet every two months and they are the governing board of the church and that's what you need constitutionally. You need to have a governing board of the church. It's called a leadership council. And then um, every other month the ministry leaders will meet as a separate group. The deacons and the elders will meet as a separate group. All right. I am skipping through this. You now have the profiles... Don't need to go through all those again. And now we're on to membership. Alright. Montmorency Community Church currently has no members officially. Alright? So when we say we're going to have a members vote, there's no way we can say who's a member and who's not a member. Isn't that funny? It's an um, unusual situation. However, for us to be able to vote in the Constitution, we actually have to sort of try and work out who are members. And because there's no criteria actually in writing and there's no constitutionally mandated way in which to define members, what we're doing and what we're, the only thing we can do is say, if you feel that you're a member of this church, then fill out this membership form, which is in here. Which is in here. Yeah, I know. I'm just trying to figure out what I did with that. See, this is what somebody told me. When you pull that stuff out, David, you're going to lose it. Anyway, look, whatever. Um, I, know we're, I know it's there, and it is on the back of the Statement of Faith, and it's a membership application, and uh, there are some eligibility cri- criteria that we've put together in the Constitution. Because the Constitution hasn't been voted in by the members yet, we can't comply, make you comply with that. However, we will mention it. So for ongoing membership, once the Constitution is voted in by the church members, who are self-identified in this case by filling out a form and putting it in the box, 
is that they support the purpose of Montmorency Community Church. The first thing is that purpose, that we agree to that, we support it, we're actually in, we're all in on that. Second is that they agree to the statement of faith. And the third is that they be actively involved in Montmorency Community Church for six months and how, what that looks like, what active involvement means is something we're still trying to work out but those are the things that we would expect for people to be members. Now there are two membership criteria, or actually um, categories. 18 plus, we consider the adults, they can be full members but we also wanted to recognise there's quite a few young people in the church that want to be identified with the church. So from 12 to 18 people can become members as well. They're associate members which means they can have a voice at public meetings, at official meetings but they don't have a vote. And I think you should have teenagers speaking into your church community and I think it's a good idea, but it wasn't only my idea, it's certainly the working group. So what about my kids? They actually care about this church. They should be recognised if they want to be identified with this church. So we've actually made a category for them and they can sign up now as members, as the unofficial, unincorporated members of the church who will have voting rights by everybody who applies and fills out their form they all have rights to vote in this constitution and all this when we're going to do that. The last thing you have in your pack is a timeline. So you can get the context of all this and know what's happening and when it's happening. Elders appointment. It's the first thing we want to do is appoint elders because this church desperately needs the elders to take on the responsibility of the pastoral care of this church, to be praying for the church, to be taking the spiritual temperature of the church, to be out there doing the jobs of the elders as described in those elder profiles and we want to appoint elders as soon as we can. So, on the 26th of February, nominations are going to close but you have a nomination form. That's the one that stayed in there so I knew it was going to be there and it's got elder nomination and that's what you do. You go and look at that profile, you pray about it and if you want to nominate somebody then you stick it in the box down the back here and you can put your membership thing down there and by the way, you can't be the first member. Andrew Ryder put his in right when he came in here because he wanted to be number one. So... <laughs> We need the new elders when you actually are appointed to go and visit with Andrew and talk about how we're meant to be last, not first. <laughs> so just put your, your forms in the back there um, and also when you feel that you are, have, have, a, have somebody in mind who you believe God wants you to nominate as an elder, then please put those forms in the back. However, you will need to talk to that person and get their permission to actually put their name in. And I suggest you pray with them about it too. There is some time before that uh, has those nominations close, which will be the 5th of March, and that is when the nominations committee, who will consist of um, Garth and Lee and myself, um, and we'll go through those nominations and we'll pray about those and we'll actually choose out of all the people who are nominated the ones that we will put up to be voted for and on the 5th of March, nominations will close um, and then we will announce the candidates and then you've got from the 5th to the 19th of March to give us feedback about those candidates. Then on uh, Sunday, <coughs> the 19th of March, there'll be a members' meeting and there will be a secret ballot taken for uh, a vote for the elders and they will require 75% support of all the members of the church to be validated and confirmed as elders of this church. On that day, the constitution will be introduced. We'll be at a stage where we believe after we've had this time and we've got some feedback from this uh, time of sharing with you that we'll be in a place where we've done all the final tweaks on the constitution and the constitution will be introduced and the ministry leaders' positions will be open for nomination as well. On the 26th of March, the ministry leaders' nominations will close and then on the 30th of March, nominations of members for all leadership council candidate um, will be the close of all those and then on the 2nd of April, the church members' meeting, uh, that was where um, all closed, all the uh, initial membership registration processes closed so, so that will be the end of you being able to apply for membership and then we will vote to accept the constitution or not accept the constitution. Hopefully we've had all of the conversations we need to have. Everybody's asked all the questions and we've tweaked it and it's just a, it is a, just a formality. 
It's, we, I don't expect and I don't encourage you to have a debate on that day whether there's things in the Constitution that need changing. If you think that the Constitution has some issues, you need to get that sorted out because this is really just a formal vote because it has to happen. You've got to vote it in as members. And then from then on, <coughs> um, oh, and, and at that time, you will vote again on the elders, on the ministry leaders um, and, and the chair of the deacons because... In the Constitution, they have to be validated as members of the Leadership Council. Now, there's a lot of votes and stuff happening here. It has to happen because it's all the inception of a whole new way of doing church and having leadership and constituting. And it won't, this won't be going on forever and ever. You won't be having a whole lot of votes and a whole lot of members' meetings, but we've got to do this to actually get it all in. All right. Wow. Wasn't that a lot? And, um, and I'm sure you are bamboozled by some of that and... That's why we've got this pack. And also, on the website, which Steve's going to run up here now and he's going to introduce you to the new website because there's another thing that's been going on.